The title for today's talk is Passing Away. The talk is meant as a companion piece for the Friday's talk, which was called Arising. So we play the counterpoint of Arising and Passing Away. And just thinking about that brought me to a little poem I learned when I was in the middle school and which stayed with me. Now, the poem, as I was in middle school in Argentina, is in Spanish by a Spanish writer. And I can't resist saying it in Spanish, but don't worry, it's very brief. The author is Gustavo Adolfo Becker. And here it goes. I used to know it by heart, but I memory is not what it used to be. Los suspiros son aire y van al aire. Las lágrimas son agua y van al mar. Dime, mujer. Cuando el amor se olvida, ¿sabes tú a dónde va? It touched something there. Unfortunately, I can only offer my own translation, so it's not a terribly poetic one, but it's faithful at least. Becker says, Sighs are air and go to the air. Tears are water and go to the sea. Tell me, woman, when love is forsaken, can you tell me where it goes? So, that kind of frames our topic. It comes up, and then, where does it go? As for arising, those of you who were here on Friday heard the talk, but let me just encapsulate for them, and perhaps for those who might not have been here on Friday, what that topic was about. The, the talk focused not, of course, on the arising of sighs or tears or, or love, in fact, but primarily on the concrete arising we had in front of us, the arising of the retreat itself. It's a arising, it's coming into being of this community that we are. We examine the transition from the sense of individuality to a recognition of our sense of community of, uh, as I quoted Tignat Han, saying our 
interbeingness. We can go back and forth. And, and this community get, gets woven from the threads of pre-existing relationships, of course. Some, some of us we know from a long time. Others we, we've just uh, recently met. But even those who we have recently met... We are interwoven in our life with everybody else. We have similar experiences. And this uh, interbeingness so far tends to grow. Not always, sometimes it's difficult, but uh, has a possibility of growing in the course of the last day or so. As the retreat approaches its closing, we also approach the time when it will pass away. And, and so we, we can see, we can perhaps begin to see now and see later this afternoon, how we take this passing away of the retreat of our community. And how we take it depends very much on whether we cling or not. If we cling to the moments that we've shared together, whether it's a joy or even of sadness, if we cling, whatever clinging we do, the passing away becomes problematic. If we cling, we are demanding that things be different from what they are. We say, I don't want this to end. But it's ending. I want to put this passing away on hold. But we can't. So there'll be suffering. So there'll be unsatisfactoriness. And then, of course, an opportunity to observe what is it that we do with this clinging thing? Look at it a little closer. And I suspect that with whichever clinging, as it happens to me, we will recognize the stuff of the eye. The effort to make the retreat a manifestation of me, of the eye. So a vehicle for self-identification. I'm not saying that to condemn it in any way. On the contrary. If you see aspects of that, just Watch them and see and learn from the suffering that they cause. But also know that clinging is not in no way a requirement for connection. Quite the contrary. It's just a burden. To 
truly connect with the community is to let it be as it is with all its fluctuations, of course. Every moment uh, offers something different. To be with the community in its true condition, not frozen in our imagination. To enjoy whatever it offers us. To let go of whatever is not helpful to us. And of course, to let go of the community whenever the community itself moves on. So, here we are. Stuff of kind of winding down. Passing gradually away. Perhaps not yet, but uh, in the hours to come. And being present with the experience of each moment. And then, as you move away, of course to be totally present with the resonance of the retreat uh, inside your mind and heart. With the reverberations of the retreat. Surely, those are still palpitating within each one of us. And they too are likely to fade away. Although at times they may color our mood in the coming days. But but no need to cling. Absolutely. On the contrary, it's a liability if we cling to anything. I'm I'm talking about the retreat extensively because it's our direct experience, but also because it's emblematic of ways how we deal with other relationships. particularly with one-to-one relationships with partners in life. Only that in these one-to-one relationships, the stakes of the I are incredibly high. There's so much fabrication of identity around it. It's unbelievable. It makes no sense unless, of course, you are into it and you think that's the way it's got to be. Now, with the relationships and arising, perhaps they are not so problematic and at least apparently, they're too busy making them happen, making them work, you know, and so on. But uh, annoyingly, we may be seeing the seeds of the problem right there. It's a passing away that's difficult. That which prompted Beckett to say 
in his poem. Tell me, woman, when love is forsaken, do you know where it goes? And there's an anguish call here. It's much harder to let it go than the sighs and the tears. And there again, it's got to do this difficulty with the eye investment. Enormous eye investment. If we let go the love to rejoin the sea of love as the tears rejoin the sea of water. Then, maybe our egos would go down the drain as well. Not something we allow to happen lightly. But then again, there is the clue to let the passing away of a relationship to occur unproblematically is also about letting our egos flow down the drain and be done. Not not probably what those who come to the end of a relationship want to hear. But we all need to hear that clearly, gently, from the voice of our own insight. Forget about the teacher saying anything. It's just words. But when, when you discover it yourself, it becomes crucial. And so, the real problem, the crux of the problem with arising and passing away, maybe in relationship, but primarily is in the self. On Friday, I talked about this uh, ideas, it's the theories we have built about our arising, you know. And I don't want to go back into that, but surely the scientific basis of the moment of our arising is very questionable, very questionable. One could have all kinds of, uh, of schemes about that. And, of course, scientists and politicians have their strong opinions about that based on, on, on a culture, but they have nothing to do with facts. My own growing sense has been that I've been gathered together gradually throughout life, throughout almost 80 years of life now. You know. And each, each gathering is just as important as the, 
initial gatherings. And um, and parts are still arising right now. They're still arising. So I connect with you and uh, I get nourished by your presence. Still arising. And of course, parts are passing away constantly. Constantly. You know, physical strength. Sexual strength, <laughs> memory, <laughs> all kinds of abilities get uh, worn down, say, not totally disappear, just worn down. And, and if we cling, they become problematic. We cling to those parts. We don't know when to let them go. We cling to, to the image that we have fashioned, which is etched in stone kind of thing. And we, we never like it at all any longer. And of course, the big A, the ultimate, is the actual so, so-called final passing away. Our clinging is colored by a sense of ownership. We deal with our life. I deal with my life. As I would deal with my car, with my property, with my partner. Well, hopefully not. But anyway, that's the tendency with my children. I mean, that, that's a way I can go to. Try not to. All this clinging is not just unnecessary and superfluous. It really, totally gets in the way. It's an obstacle to our happiness. The alternative is very simple, very unproblematic. Let go of the clinging. Let life follow its course with all the losses, all the gains, and the ultimate loss of the body. Talking about cars, a couple of weeks ago I was servicing my car at the service station. I'm not really going to talk about cars, but that just happens. And um, our daughter Nora, who some of you know because she was at the Socrates retreat last time for a brief period, so she was she came to town with me, so we went to the service station. And she was very keen in making sure that they inspect inspected the airbags. Car is on ten years old now, 
and she understands and I guess that she must know that that airbags sometimes fail and need to be examined. It was a very special moment for many reasons because she was really talking about her love for me. And, you know, I talked rather loosely about, yes, you know, but don't have much more to go, you know that. So, airbags or no airbags, something is going to give. And, and so we had this lovely conversation with, with some tears and a lot of laughter. And at the end of it, to, to, now to my regret, I should say, I promised her. I will live for ten years longer. <laughs> she accepted the promise. <laughs> it's so lovely. Because it was really not about the promise, but about examining this whole issue of my letting go and her letting go. So our laughter went to the air. Our tears rejoined the water. And love rejoined love. Held back by no clinging. What is this love? You know, on Friday I indulged us. I love to do in a show and tell thing. And I'll do it again. I don't know whether it's going to work. But it's, it's my model. It's my um, simile. I use this light. And a little mirror, and of course it was darker then. Let me see if I can shine some light. Oh no, yeah, not really. Not really. I'm trying to shine the light. Okay, I, I'm not going to be able to do it, because no object, it's too light, too, too bright here. But the idea is, with a, with a light and a mirror, shine light on objects. And we played a little bit with that on Friday. So I'm going to turn this off because it's not working as such. But some of you who are here may remember that little game of shining light and making things pop up, arise. And in that move also there was the moving the light away and making those objects that uh, the light was shine on not appear any longer. Not appear as part of our experience. And that's so much like the practice. We direct our attention to the breath. We shine the light on the breath. Or this morning we direct our attention to various parts of the body. We shone the light on those parts of the body. The body 
so to speak, lit up in some areas sometimes. And then the light went away as the light in that, in that area became silent or we moved our attention away. But And so, in our ordinary experience, and also part of our experience in the retreat, is about shining light on things. Fixing the attention on things. And in my show and tell, I say there's something else we can do with the shining of light. And so I directed the light to the back, actually. I said, it'd be better if, if I could demolish that wall and shine the light to the... Don't worry, I'm not going to do it. Uh, shine the light to the open space. But that's the metaphor. A light that lands nowhere. A light that's not visible by a third party. The extraordinary thing of the practice is that in the practice we come to those moments that may be rare, that may be spaced out, but there are moments when we are present with the awareness itself. That the moments when I, let me talk in the first person, where I am the light and I know the light. There are moments when the thinginess of experience becomes unimportant. Not only do we not cling but we don't thingify our experience. Our experience is not any longer dependent on the object of attention. Our experience open up, opens up to awareness itself. It's like the light of the mirror not shining on anything and yet knowing itself. The experience of practice takes, it, takes us to that space of knowing ourselves. Knowing the knower, that is. Knowing the knower, not ourselves, because it, sorry, it falls into the I category in, in the ordinary language. I meant knowing the knower. Knowing firsthand, in the first person. Now, I like the metaphor the simile of life for a number of reasons. And here's one 
But if you bear with me with the technicalities, some of you may find useful. I find it fascinating. I've been, in fact, bothered by this since I was in college and first studied physics. Because physicists have really never fully figured out what in earth light is. They don't. At least unless they have done in the last few years, but I doubt it because we would have heard it. One thing that's particularly puzzling is that Check this out. The speed of light emitted by a source is independent of the speed of the source. That's what physics tells us, and every physics student has to bow to it, accept it. But but think of the enormity of it. Let me explain a little better. If there was a train with a, a light in front, and if the train were to go to close to the speed of light, of course, just a thought experiment, the light would still be going at the same speed as when the train is standing. And the way this has been checked out is using the movement of the earth. The earth moves fast enough, doesn't move at the speed of, of light, but moves fast enough so that measuring speed of light in this one direction or the other should be given a, a, a tiny little bit of difference, right? Because the earth moves this way and not that way or, or whichever. And so the light would go faster in space one way than the other, in space. It doesn't. So I'm not interested in the physics. I'm interested in the paradox. I'm interested in the fact that life is puzzling. doesn't fit our schemes. It is almost as if life has its own rules and, and lives in its own world. So, in this simile between light and awareness and knowing, maybe knowing too goes to join a world of knowingness, quite independent of the source. Maybe our knowingness, our knowing, is part of a, of a larger source, of a larger sea. So that knower and knowing actually become one.
So, maybe it's uh, like in Becker's poem. Sighs are air and go to the air. Tears are water and go to the sea. Gnawing is gnawing and goes to the gnawing. Knowing and love, of course, are very connected. I, I like the, the simile of the bird with two wings. We are, our minds are like birds with two wings. One being wisdom and knowing, the other being love. So, Knowing and love go hand in hand. Or if you forgive me the pun, wing in wing. So, when with the mirror, which I cannot use now, we shine light on the objects and we... You know, we pay attention to the thing and then we go to the space where the light doesn't land any longer. Where the love doesn't where the love doesn't land any longer either. When in our relationships there are those moments where we're not fixed on the object, whatever the object or objects are. We're not looking for an object to zero in on with our love, outside or inside us. We're just willing to experience the light, to experience the knowing, to experience the love. And we may discover then when we connect with that, we connect, as Becker would have it, with the sea of love. Where giving and receiving are just the same thing. And where all our wants have vanished. Let's sit for a few minutes, please. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.